I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 15. And I've learned to say, too, if you don't have your Bibles, you probably have your phone, so find your Bible app and find John chapter 15 on your Bible app. Um, There are some Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you as well if you wanted to use one of those. So two weeks ago, we looked at uh, the passage where Jesus said, I am the light. And this morning, we're going to look at another one of the I am statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John, where he says, I am the vine. Uh, The reason we're doing these I am passages as we approach Christmas is that we all know the facts of Jesus' birth. I think most of us do, but it's also important to know who this child who was born in a manger claims to be and uh, who he really is. And there's no better way to do that than to look at some of the statements that Jesus made about himself that are from his own lips. Um, At Christmas, we can lose sight of the main thing. And uh, Jesus is the main thing. We can't lose sight of him. So this is very important stuff that we're talking about this morning. Um, God became incarnate in his son Jesus for the purpose of being a vine that connects us to him and ultimately to the Father. Uh, Before we talk about Jesus being the vine, you know, I was thinking of things that are green, that are alive, and made me think of, of Christmas trees. And I don't know if you know the origin of the Christmas tree, but uh, we know for sure that it goes back to Germany in the 16th century. Uh, But legend has it that it goes back to Martin Luther himself. Uh, One December night, he was out for a walk. He was preparing his sermon in his mind, and uh, he was struck by the beauty of the stars twinkling in the sky. And so he decided to cut down a tree, bring it inside. He put candles on it. And uh, all of that to teach his six children about Advent and the meaning of Jesus' birth. Well, the tradition caught on in Germany, but not across the world. Uh, German immigrants finally brought Christmas trees to Pennsylvania in the 1700s. And it wasn't until 1848 that the Christmas tree became acceptable in America, primarily because a picture circulated of the royal family sitting around the Christmas tree reading the Christmas story. Um, So it was almost 100 years later, in 1931, that the first Christmas tree was put up in Rockefeller Center. And um, uh, now today, there are between 25 and 30 million Christmas trees sold annually in the United States, and uh, the U.S. Christmas tree industry employs 100,000 people. There are 15,000 Christmas tree farms, uh, making up 295,000 acres of land. Uh, The state that produces the most Christmas trees is Oregon. Uh, If you know Oregon, maybe you're not surprised by that. And the U.S. Christmas tree market is a $380 million market. Um, but the evergreen is, a, is symbolic of a sign of life in the, in the dead of winter. And in scripture, the, the vine is also a sign of life. When Jesus talks about the vine, he's talking about what comes from the vine, and that's fruit that's produced on the branches. 
And the word fruit we see over and over again in the Old Testament, but especially in the New Testament. And what John wants to communicate is that because of Jesus, we have the potential of enormous growth in our own lives. Uh, Because the fruit in the Bible and in the Gospel of John always has to do with character um, and, uh, and what's produced from that. Sometimes other Christians are what is produced from that. There's a list that the Apostle Paul gives us of the fruit of the Spirit in, in Galatians chapter 5. And he talks about love and joy and peace, patience, which is, includes forgiveness, uh, kindness, uh, really think about kindness, unselfishness, uh, goodness, meaning integrity, faithfulness, gentleness, that's humility, and self-control. And Jesus is saying that he is the key to those and other fruit that come from our lives. We could put it in the form of, a, of questions. If you're a, uh, how can a selfish person become unselfish? How can a cowardly be, a person become courageous? How can a whiner become a giver? How can a bigot become someone who understands others who are not like themselves? God loves you, period. That's why he sent his son at Christmas. And God's goal for you is to become like his son. And when we talk about becoming like Jesus, we're talking about becoming like him in character. And so uh, this is on your outline. Character is who you are when no one is looking. You know that. Um, If you don't know what your weaknesses are, um, ask a friend. If you are really sincere, I'm sure they'll tell you. Ask your spouse. I know they'll tell you. Um, Ask someone, ask God to reveal maybe blind spots or weaknesses that you have in your life. So the next thing on the outline is this, that Jesus was born to die for our sins. He knew his physical presence with his disciples would soon come to an end. He also knew these men would need a clear understanding of their position with God and they needed to know what was expected of them. Jesus is very intentional about filling their minds with truths to help them make it through the coming days. And these same lessons are vital for us to grow in our own faith. So we're gonna read the passage. Um, Before we read the passage, I just wanna uh, say that what's happening here in the context is that Jesus began a, a, a talk really to his disciples back in chapter 13. So he's right in the middle of that talk to his disciples. So starting at verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is God's word. So in saying that Jesus is the true vine, number one on your outline, uh, Jesus does not mean true as opposed to false. But true here means, and this is again on your outline, perfect and essential and enduring. It's the same way that he uses that when he says he's the true light and he is the true bread. It's perfect and essential and enduring. Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the genuine vine, is what he's saying. Uh, the important thing now for the disciples, and this is what Jesus is communicating to them, is to be connected to the gardener, to be connected to Jesus, and then ultimately to the Father, who's the gardener. And the last part of verse one says that, I'm the true vine, and my Father's the gardener. That leads us to number two on the outline. In, in the parables of Jesus, uh, God is referred to as the owner of the vineyard, but never the gardener. But here, he's referred to as the gardener, uh, the one who takes care of the vineyard. Jesus is the genuine vine, and the Father takes care of him. And the point of this analogy of Jesus is the vine and the Father is the gardener was, was not to define the relationship of the Father to the Son, but, and this is on your outline again, but to emphasize the Father's care for the vine and the branches. Um, on Christmas Day a few years ago, the Chicago Tribune ran a story on the front page of a woman named Suju Wan from China who was living in the United States. She had been living here for seven years. She thought uh, that Christmas was a patriotic and a, a very American tradition that she grew to love. Um, it wasn't until her eighth year that she, a friend of hers invited uh, her to a church and she heard the gospel and she responded. And uh, she was baptized the next Sunday on Christmas Sunday. And on Christmas Sunday, she said, I have peace in my heart and joy. And I am now giving my heavy burdens to Jesus. So she said, it's like a, a double holiday. I, I have the Christmas celebration, but I have my relationship with Jesus that I'm also now celebrating on Christmas Day with my baptism. So, so like Suju Wan, we, we come to initial faith in Christ, and that's when the life of Christ takes root in our lives. And, and it's, since we, it's like we partner with the Holy Spirit who now lives in us to develop fruit in our lives. And so the fruit Christ looks for, again, this is on your outline, is his own life in us. So the question is, how do we get it? How do we get that life? How does that life of Christ grow and develop in us? Well, we get it by pruning, number three on your outline. Look at verses two and three. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So uh, again, on your outline, pruning means that the father prunes to bring health. God doesn't prune the branches that don't bear fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they can bear more fruit. 
So how does a branch bear fruit? It's, it's by being connected to the vine. Uh, staying connected. The natural result of being connected to the vine is growth. And the key to staying connected is what we know to be the, 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 the most basic things that help us grow in our relationship with Jesus, our time in the word. If we're spending time in the word, we're going to spend time in prayer. We know the importance of prayer. We worship God corporately like we're doing this morning, but we also worship God alone when we're by ourselves. And so you have to be connected. But what happens when you're not, when you're not connected, you get disciplined. You know, I, I've wondered, thinking of Christmas trees, how Christmas trees all looks, look so perfect. And I, just reading up a little bit on it this last week, I, I realized that a lot of Christmas trees are not perfect, but they are deformed in some way. And they can be pruned to come out looking like a good tree. And so in mid-June and mid-July, uh, those who own Christmas tree farms will, grow out, uh, will go out and prune their Christmas trees so that they become saleable, so that people want to buy them, so they look pretty. Uh, but it's the cutting of that tree that, that causes the beauty. And it's the same way for us. It's true for trees, and that's true for Christians. You know, I read an article in Christianity Today um, recently where the author was talking about reading a book on how to prevent osteoporosis, of all things. And in the book that they were reading, one phrase stood out to this author on this uh, book she was reading, and it's this. Like all living tissue, bone is constantly being broken down and reformed. And she kept thinking about that one sentence. Like all living tissue, bone is constantly being broken down and reformed. And the author writes this, as long as my relationship to God is alive, I understand that there can be no growth without pruning. You know, I have been with you all in some difficult times in your lives, and uh, when I've been with you, my goal is to encourage you. But as I've seen you come through so well, what I would call some of these times of pruning, difficulties in your lives, I have come away more encouraged by watching your response uh, to, in a, your godly response to the pruning that's gone on in your life. Um, and and that we should always have a, that kind of a response to God. Uh, where we say to him, we submit to him, and we say, God, I'm not exactly sure what you're doing, but I, I want to learn from this. I want to grow closer to you, and instead of uh, shaking a fist at God, we, our, our natural response, I think, as a, as a body, as a family, is to fall on our knees and to say, Lord, will you teach me from this? The way we're cleansed, it says, and again, it's on your outline, is by the word. Uh, again, if, if we try to do it on our own, it just doesn't work. David asks the question in Psalm 119, how shall a young person keep their way pure? By living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so Jesus said to his disciples in verse three, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. God never stops pruning, and his word is one of the main ways that he will prune in our lives. He's always drawing us closer to himself. 
And that leads to verse four, to remain in him, to remain in me, verse four, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And so those first two remains, remain in me and I will remain in you, are emphatic. They're a command. It's, we must remain in him. We must, re- and then he says it a little bit later. It must remain in the vine. I must remain in you is what he's saying. New Testament scholar Leon Morris, one of my favorite commentators, uh, said it like this on your outline. Jesus means that the disciples should live such lives that he will continue to abide in them. The two abidings, abide in me and I will abide in you, cannot be separated. And abiding is the necessary prerequisite of fruitfulness. No branch bears fruit in isolation. It must have vital connection with the vine. So to abide in Christ is the necessary prerequisite of fruitfulness for the Christian. The way to please God, you wanna please God? I think we all do. Abide in the vine, abide in Jesus. So if abiding in Jesus is is all we can do, how do we do that? How do we depend on him? Well, the Gospel of John, it says, John says, was written so that people might believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. So we start there. We have to trust Jesus by faith for our salvation. Most of us have already done that. Um, and, And we've come to Jesus in faith, believing that he is God's provision for us in our lives. And the truth is that it's nonsense to try to live the Christian life on our own when we've started it with Jesus. We try to live the Christian life on our own because no branch can bear fruit by itself. John 8 says the same thing. You've got the reference. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I hear that last phrase quoted a lot. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's obviously quoted out of context. He's talking about the word and abiding in the truth of God's word. Uh, How does Jesus, Jesus prays for his disciples in John 17. Sanctify them, Lord, by the truth. Your word is truth. And so we depend on him, uh, again, on your outline, by abiding or remaining in his word. And so to let the word of God abide in you means that we practice the discipline of Bible memorization. We memorize God's word. We hide it in our hearts. That's how we keep from sinning. That's what Psalm 119 says. We meditate on the word. We think deeply about it. We we study the word. If you're not in a Bible study, my encouragement to you is this next year, get in a Bible study. We have men's Bible studies. We have women's Bible studies. We have uh, small groups, couples groups. We have home fellowships. Get into a smaller group where you open the word together and study the word. Do you take advantage of, of being able to do that? Being able to turn the pages? Being able to look at the word of God? You know, there's a book called The Wonders of the Word of God. And uh, the author of this book, Robert Sumner, gives an account of a man in Kansas City who was in a terrible explosion and lost both of his hands and lost his sight completely. And he he was most disappointed because just before that time, he had become a Christian and he was so looking forward to reading the word and studying the word and now he couldn't do it. 
And then he read about a woman in England who read Braille with her lips, with the sensitivity of her lips. And so he ordered some, some scripture in Braille to do that, and when he did it, he realized that his lips had lost their sensitivity, and he couldn't even do it with his lips. But just perchance, his tongue touched the Braille, and he realized he could, see, he could feel the bumps with his tongue. And so by the time this man, had, uh, Robert Sumner, had written this book, The Wonders of the Word of God, this man in Kansas City had read through the Bible four times with his tongue. Are you reading it with your eyes? Are you turning the pages with your hands? Take advantage of being able to do what we can do and what we take for granted so easily. And then the truth of verse five, number five on your outline, you can do nothing. I am the vine, Jesus says in verse five, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do some things. That's not what he says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Underline that one in your Bible. Nothing apart from Jesus. You know, one of my favorite Super Bowl ads of all time is, was about 10 years ago, and uh, this little kid was dressed up like Darth Vader. And he was going around and, and, and trying to use the force on everything, get the washer and dryer going. Nothing would work on his dog, on his sister's dolls. Uh, and he was kind of getting frustrated and walking around. He goes out to his car, his dad's car, and his dad saw what he was doing, and he goes like this to the car, and his dad pushes the remote and starts the car. And the little boy just jumps back like, oh my gosh, I've got the power, I've got it. But I, I think that's so great because nothing can be done without the power of the Father. And that's exactly the way it is for us. We can't do a thing without God without Jesus, without being connected to him. Think about it, the branch has no access to life because the branch isn't touching the ground, but the vine is. And if, if the branch is truly joined to the vine, then true life will come to the branch through the vine and the branch will grow. If the branch isn't growing, it, 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 it maybe just looks like it's joined, but it's not joining, if it's not, not joined, if it's not growing. 2 Peter 1, the Apostle Peter writes, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our personal, that's what he's talking about, through our knowledge of him. Through them you may participate in the divine nature. Think about that. We participate in the divine nature. We have the power of God available to us. Some of you, for whatever reason, Christmas might just be a dark time for you, a hard time. Maybe relationally, maybe broken relationships, maybe financially, whatever it is. Uh, if, in the darkest times of your life, you can be encouraged by God's word. God's word can encourage you. In Christ, we have all we need to escape the decay that is in this world. And if you wanna change your character, if you want to see from your life the fruit of other believers, then you do it by abiding in the vine. Because when you abide in the vine, you are participating, like Peter says, in his divine nature. That's available to us. 
This is why Christianity, and this is on your outline, isn't just a set of beliefs, but it is about a heart being uprooted and in a sense replanted in new soil. The very life of heaven has come into your life. And it's not literally in the soil, but it's attached to the, to the vine that is in the soil. So think about this. Christianity can't just be a little right. Either it is absolute insanity and absolutely crazy, or it is absolutely true. When you read the Bible, if you look at the claims of it, then you have to change the way you think about everything. Not just the way you think about some things. You know, that's one of the characteristics of a cult. They, they have all these individuals. I have my religion here. I have my family here. I have my work here. I have my interests here. But Christianity says, no, you draw a circle around all of that. It's all inclusive. And so the, there's a way to think Christianly about every part of your life. And that's what the Bible teaches. You think Christianly about your family and about your work and about everything you do in your life. You think about it in a godly, biblical way. It must affect every part of your life. It has to change your whole way of thinking or, or you reject it. And so on your outline, it says this, apart from Christ, there is no spiritual life and no spiritual fruit. No one has what it takes to live the Christian life because it is a supernatural life. Anyone who has tried knows it is impossible to do so. So Jesus isn't commanding us to bear fruit. He's commanding us to abide. Six times he says it. And what he says specifically is that we need to abide in his love. In other words, Jesus is saying, be at home in my never-ending, never-stopping love. That's the first of the fruit of the Spirit. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's given to us. And so if you feel, if you don't feel loving at some point, you can call, you can say, Lord, I know that your love lives in me through your Holy Spirit. I need your love to come out right now. I need to depend on you. I need to yield my life to you and to your Holy Spirit. And so producing fruit, again on your outline, is an evidence that we're abiding in a loving relationship with Christ. Jesus spoke about knowing his peace. We sing about it at Christmas. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. You want to know the peace of God? You do that by abiding in Christ. There are some other evidences that we're abiding in Christ. Uh, the first evidence is in uh, verses 6 and 7. Our prayers are answered. As we abide, we're connected by Christ with this real, meaningful relationship with him. And we have, because of that, an empowered prayer life. As we pray, we abide. As we abide, we, we, we pray more. We pray more deeply. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And then verse 7. If verse 7 isn't underlined in your Bible, you should underline verse 7. You should memorize verse 7. It's a conditional statement. It's a conditional promise. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, they abide in you, they remain in you, then you can ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. It's not just ask whatever you want, it'll be given to you. That's what, how people misread this sometimes. No, the condition is that you, that answered prayer number one is for those who abide in Jesus. 
That's the first condition. That means more than just reading the word. That means digesting the word. That means meditating on it, making it a part of your life. So you see yourself through it. You see the world through the word. It becomes your filter to see the the world. It's for those who have a permanent union with Jesus. And then second, answered prayer happens when his words abide in us. In other words, answered prayer comes to those whose lives are controlled by the commands of God. Are you striving to be obedient to God? With the help of the Holy Spirit living in you, that's what God wants for you. And so we do this because he can care for us better than we can care for ourselves. That's what he says. That's how he takes care of Jesus. He's the gardener. The key is getting what we want. The key to getting what we want is to want what he wants. So if you want to, you want to pray God's will and have all your prayers answered, you make your will his will. That's why it's always good to pray verses of scripture for yourself, for other people, because you know you're praying the word of God. In his book on prayer, which I would highly recommend to anybody, it's uh, Tim Keller talks about how that happens. You've got the quote in front of you. It says, prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. We must know the awe of praising his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking for his help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence. And so, when it comes to prayer, we've got to pray. We've got to become people of prayer. A man of prayer, a woman of prayer. If you want to live boldly as a Christian, you need to pray boldly as a Christian. We have to stop allowing other people just to do it for us, pray for us, before we pray for ourselves. We need to pray for ourselves and for others. And then the next evidence that we're abiding in a loving relationship with Christ is that we have a, it's on your outline, we have a deepening love for Jesus and other believers. First John is really all about that. Um, Verse eight, this is my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The father was certainly not glorified in the lives of the disciples hours after, a few hours after he finished his talk with them. Uh, They were denying him. Peter, James, and John couldn't stay awake with him while he asked him to while he was praying. Peter was out flailing with his sword, uh, got really close to a man's neck, cut off his ear. Um, Why were they doing that? They were doing that because they weren't connected to the the vine. They weren't abiding in Jesus. Why Why do we do stuff like that? Because we're not abiding in the vine. We love because he first loved us. And how much does he love us? He loves us with with, with measureless love. He he loves us without beginning or end. His love is eternal. It's it's an unconditional love. It's not I love you if. It's not I'll love you because of. It's I love you, period. That's God's unconditional love. It's a fact that he loves us. And now God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit living in us fill our lives with his love that enables us to live by by the power of God. Uh, You don't feel love for someone, you ask God and he will love them through you. 
Verse seven, again, goes back to verse seven. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. What God is saying to us this morning is if you're despairing and you want joy, if, if you're hard-hearted and you want tenderness, if you're unforgiving and you want to be able to forgive, if you're anxious and you want peace, or fill in the blank, then ask God for it. He wants to give it to you. Be connected to him. Be connected to the vine. Jesus says to us that if we're connected to him, we will, have, we will become like Christ. We will, we will become like Jesus. And, and if, this is maybe not the best way to think of it, but Jesus is like the lifeblood of God. His blood poured out for our sins. What could be so bad in your life? What habits could be so stubborn? What health issue could be so devastating that the life of God itself cannot lift you out of it? I've been with our part of our family, our brothers and sisters, when they are dying, and I walk away encouraged because they're abiding in the vine. It's unbelievable sometimes. Maybe you've had that experience. I've had that so many times with with some of you, and I want you to be encouraged to do the same thing. Abide in the vine, no matter what is in front of you. Without him, we can do nothing. And so we ask him, and he says, he can draw it from us. We can draw it from him. He can fill us with his love. As branches, we're not attached to the ground, so we... We can't achieve that kind of life on our own. The vine is in the ground. And the Father's caring for it, and he cares for us. And as long as we're attached to the vine and remaining in the vine, abiding in the vine, we have the life of the Father flowing into us by his Holy Spirit. So Christmas might be a hard time for you, but don't give up seeking God. If you do give up on it, the wintertime can be a long time, spiritually. On the other hand, if there's anybody who's never seen this kind of growth, never seen this kind of of change in your life, and you're saying, you know, I've never had this kind of organic, real relationship with God where I'm connected with him. I've always thought of Christianity as just a matter of being a a good person and, and following Jesus' example. I've really never understood that it means I can be completely intimate with the Father through Jesus. I've never known what it's like for him to be my savior than go to him in faith and his grace is waiting for you. His grace is bigger than any sin you have. And when we talk to people about following Christ and we invite them appropriately to receive Christ into their life, that's the promise, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. We receive Christ. Once we receive him then, it's an exhilarating life. It's a life of, the, it's the power of God that we experience. It's, it's true change happening in our lives. You know, we all know the Dickens character, Scrooge, and the change that went on in his life. You know, one night this old miser, Scrooge, gets visited by the ghost of Christmas past and Christmas present and Christmas future. And uh, he realizes what a a knucklehead and idiot he's been in his life. And he's changed. 
He's a changed man. That begins in our, our mind. That began in his mind. And he's not sure how long he's been dreaming and sleeping. And so he runs to the window and opens the window and he sees a boy out on the street and he says, what's the day? And the little boy shouts up, it's Christmas day. And he says, and he walks away and he says, wow, it's Christmas day. I, I, I've, I've done it. I haven't missed it. And at the very end of the story, Charles Dickens writes this, even afterwards, and it will always be said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well. If any man alive possessed the knowledge, he did. May that be truly said of us, of all of us. And so as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Well, it seems that Scrooge was glorifying and praising Christmas or the Christmas spirit. That's what the world does. That's what that... Chinese gal did at the beginning. She thought it was just a patriotic American celebration. But it's, it's, it's way more than that. We take our cues from the word of God. We know that it, Christmas is about Jesus. And, and we can't miss it for all the fun and all the other things that we do, that, that it's all about abiding in Christ. And so the very best gift you can give yourself this Christmas is to abide in Christ. Are you abiding in him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, teach us how to draw on the vine. Not just paste Christmas tree ornaments on ourselves that make us look good, but show us, Lord, even those who feel like they're under the knife of pruning right now, that it's not just because you like suffering and evil. If you liked suffering and evil, Jesus would never have come and taken it on himself so he could end it. We do see that if we come under the pruning knife and, and we draw on you, that you can finally make us into the people that we were designed to be, just like Jesus. Show everybody here, everybody listening, how to make you come alive in their own lives. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, for to us, a child is born. For us. The gift of a son. For us. He'll take over the running of the world. And his names will be amazing counselor. Strong God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. His ruling authority will grow and there will be no limits to the wholeness he brings. Amen. God bless you and please wish Merry Christmas and introduce yourself to some folks sitting around here.